I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. The media landscape is changing, and financial services is grabbing the attention of a more diversified audience than ever before. As a member of that growing demographic, I will provide direct access to the inner workings of a complex industry while bringing an unconventional perspective to news coverage. Leaving big bank earning reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. We are taking a brief break to share a message from our friends over at Yield Street. Bring your portfolio to the future with alternative investments. Yield Street's investment products are designed to generate income and build long-term wealth. Explore investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more with minimum starting at $500. You deserve access to alternative investments traditionally reserved for only the ultra-wealthy. Now, back to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What the Fintech, a podcast for fintech professionals who are ready to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today I'm interviewing Anders Jones. He's the CEO and co-founder of Facet Wealth, a fintech platform that provides personalized and unbiased financial advice at an affordable subscription price. What's unique about Facet Wealth is that the advice doesn't stop at retirement and investment planning. Facet Wealth CFPs also guide users through major purchase decisions, like what to do after you get a raise or when other life changes come up. In this episode, Anders and I talk about his inspiration for founding Facet Wealth, how the fintech is changing the way financial planning is perceived, and the future growth of the company after its $100 million raise. Anders, welcome to What the Fintech. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, to start, how are you today and where are you working from? I am great. And I am right now in um, the desert in Southern California, just outside of Palm Springs, here for a couple of weeks. Okay. I was about to ask, are you typically in the desert in Southern California, Palm Springs? No, you know, um, I, I describe myself as a COVID nomad. So we closed our office in March of 2020, along with the rest of the world. And at the moment, really have no plans to open it back up. We're probably about 350 people and we're in 42 different states. So there isn't any one sort of like center of gravity where it makes sense to say, yeah, we're going to put our headquarters here. So I've enjoyed being, uh, being a bit nomadic and taking full advantage of, of virtual work in a way that I hadn't prior to this. Yeah, I love that. I love asking my guests that question and they don't always, unless you like are an avid listener to my podcast, you don't always know that question is coming. But, um, you know, I get like such an interesting look inside everyone's either like their home or where they choosing to work. Or like, I think last week I interviewed someone who is like, um, I just so happen to be in Denver right now trying to catch some slopes. And it's like, <laughs> cool. Like, yeah. what a surprise. Um, but anyways, it, it is cool the way that like the world has changed where you can do that type of thing. And, but there's also been instances where I've like talked with CEOs who are like, to have like incentives to get their employees to go into the office, even just like three days a week. Like we have to offer like free lunch or something else, which also sounds crazy, but a hybrid life. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like 
if there's one thing I've learned in the last two years, it's that people who are dogmatic one way or the other about we're going to be virtual forever, we're going to be in back in the office by X date, both are wrong or both end up being wrong, yeah. right? So I think for us and like, you know, there's so many discussions out there about, you know, sort of the return to work or return to office and all that. So I don't know that we'll add a whole, you know, a lot that's unique here. But for us, we're basically trying to figure out on the one hand, there's stuff that you do where it makes sense to be at home. And it's like, you know, sort of the focus work and and things like that, where the idea of like commuting and context switching and all that is actually a huge detractor. And then there's there are times when it makes sense to be together, like collaborative sort of innovation and creative work. So we're trying to figure out what's the right balance there. And, and um, uh, you know, like I get my executive team together once a once a month for uh, two days to do sort of like planning and, you know, solve problems that like we can't solve over Zoom. And that's been really productive. But at the same time, then the other 28 days, we're doing our own thing sort of wherever we want to be. I agree. I think it's like, if you're going to bring people together uh, for any reason and have anyone commute or travel or whatever, it has to be for like something really intentional and have, you know, to have that like in-person meeting and the collaboration and that type of thing. So totally agree with you there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So to start, other than learning about your work situation, work, <laughs> work from home or from wherever yeah. situation, I would also love for our listeners just to kind of learn a little bit more about you, your personal story. It's something I do open up this podcast with a lot as well. I just love to learn where, you know, a founder and CEO's values come from. Uh, During your upbringing, was Mm -hmm. there ever like a moment or a series of moments that just kind of really fueled this passion of yours to open up access to financial services, financial planning for more people? Yeah. So I don't know that there was one moment in particular, but I do have a a bit of a unique entry point into the industry, which is that for her entire career, my mother actually worked in financial services and she worked in the retirement business at Fidelity and then at Tira Price before she retired. And so when I talked to her and, you know, we have this sort of bigger picture conversations about legacy and that sort of thing, you know, she always kind of refers back to one of her proudest accomplishments in her career was helping millions of Americans save for retirement. And so financial services and financial planning and using money and financial advice as a tool for good has always sort of been in in the air in the in, in the family. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to a certain extent, like I'm I'm in the family business. I kind of see what we're doing at Facet as a continuation of, you know, the work that she started in the 80s and 90s and and beyond. And uh, it's sort of the next iteration of, of what financial services can do to really help people. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Kudos to mom. Yeah. Uh, Moms we, we love that. Yeah. 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 Um, to have that fuel. And also what a just cool thing to have growing up. Not everyone is like super fortunate, right? To have like a mom, especially a female figure, right? To mm-hmm. um, share like how important something like retirement or financial planning is. Like, I know I feel when I'm at, I've been asked like a similar question, like I just asked you. And I know I feel really lucky that like my mom opened up the world of financial services to me really young, even though she wasn't in the industry at all, but she's just like an immigrant from the Philippines and knows that it's important, right? Yeah. So like, yeah, it's like awesome to just have those figures in your life that, um, and I imagine like, seeing a woman in that role was probably pretty also just inspiring to you. Like anyone can do this, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be dad or it doesn't have to be a male or whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be the 
imagery that sometimes we think of when we think of a financial planner or someone that's an expert in uh, financial services. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like, look, you know, I, I don't have to tell you financial services is still like a heavily male dominated industry, but it is changing for sure. And uh, we actually have, I, I, I don't know what our current stats are, but yeah, a couple months ago uh, we looked and we actually have like a, a much higher number or percentage of female CFP professionals at Facet than we do, or than, than the, um, the industry average. So that that's awesome. And, you know, we work really hard to create an environment where people can come and do the best work of their career, no matter what they look like or what their backgrounds are. We're all sort of united by this common mission that financial planning can be an incredible force for good and can help people live a better life today. So it doesn't matter what you look like or, or where you're from, if that's, uh, that's what your goal is. Exactly. And I want to dive into like the very people centric business that you've built. But first, I do want to ask, like, what was maybe and this probably ties into some of like your inspiration from, you know, mom and the family business kind of like, if you will. But is there, you know, was there kind of like an inspiration or aha moment for you when you were founding Facet Wealth and just building it out and it's, you know, kind of core values? Yeah, I mean, the aha moment was really the failure of the DOL fiduciary rule in 2015. And, you know, if you remember that unnuanced version of that rule was financial advisors would be legally obligated to act in the best interests of their clients. And the rule didn't pass in large part because the pushback from the industry was so strong. And they basically said, if you pass this rule, you're going to have 8 million clients or 8 million households that lose their advisor relationship because the advisor can't afford to both act in their best interests and service them at the same time. So like, if you actually like parse that out, <laughs> that's basically the industry lobby saying, uh, yeah, we're screwing 8 million of our clients, but like, it's better for us to screw them than for them to not have <laughs> anyone to talk to at all, which I just think is complete bullshit. And, and like, I think anyone looking at the sort of looking at it from an outside lens would, would agree that that's, that's just ridiculous. And I think the other sort of big factor there is the reason that uh, they have to charge so much is because there's a huge cost of service issue. The cost of providing really high quality financial advice delivered by a human advisor is super high. And it's something that unless you're charging a client thousands or tens of thousands of dollars a year, you know, and you haven't been smart about the cost structure you've built underneath to support it, you have to charge that much to really be able to, to run a sustainable business. So, you know, for us, I think there's two like, you know, kind of key takeaways from that. One is that there's an enormous market of people out there who really need help. And that's actually probably the most important point is that, you know, we estimated as about 40 million households. And these are folks that have more nuance and complexity in their financial life than what a DIY solution like a robo-advisor or sort of content-heavy website can help with. They need that human touch and that human interaction, but they don't have the investable asset level to be interesting to a traditional advisor. And what's interesting is it's, it's not that, that these people don't have wealth or don't have money. There's about $44 trillion of assets that that market controls, but it's either in primary residential real estate, so basically your house, or it's in uh, some sort of retirement plan uh, that's company-sponsored that an, that an advisor can't fee off of. So the, the way that the industry is structured to charge people, they're missing an enormous opportunity with folks that need the help, want the help, and are willing to pay for it, but just can't quite do it the way that the industry has set, set themselves up for. 
So, so true, all of it. And then what you've created here, right, is kind of also a place for, you know, a financial advisor who or financial planner who, you know, isn't so keen on working for like a big institution and then having to wait to only work with clients that have, you know, $25,000 of investable assets or whatever the threshold is, right? Because um, the the minimums are, are zero. And I know we'll jump into that, right, at, mm-hmm. with Facet Wealth. But um, yeah, I think you've just like, not only for the user, but also for the financial professional, right? Like you've created like another avenue for someone to say, hey, you know what, I want to work somewhere where I can actually touch more people and, and personalize with, with more people and different kinds of people, right? And get into the facets of their... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yes, we, we thought about that pun when we named the company. Um, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, um, you know, I, I'm going to make a broad generalization here, which is that there are two types of people who get into the fin- financial advice business. There are the rate makers who view it as a... Uh, way to make a lot of money. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, usually great salespeople, they're either developing business by adding new clients or, you know, selling product or, you know, whatever it is. And then there are the folks that got in the industry to actually help people and view kind of financial planning as a way to make someone's life better. And those are the folks that are really attracted to the facet model. We don't ask our advisors to sell at all. We have a totally separate team that onboards clients we don't make any money off of products or investment management or um, anything on the on the back end. So there really aren't incentives for our advisor team to uh, try and cross sell products. And so, you know, really the way that we measure success is how did we make our clients' dreams make come possible? And we actually have a, a Slack channel called Dreams Made Possible, where literally every day advisors are posting here are the things that we you know that that. Uh, this client, you know, this is a, a client's goal. Here's here's how we helped them, and they just achieved it. We have an unbelievable amount of baby pictures uh, that pop that's up so there. Um, we have a lot of first home pictures. So there's there's that, that's like the best part of it. And I think that that gets back to our mission of we're here to help people, and, and these are folks that need help and don't have a lot of of great options elsewhere. Exactly. And I think you're doing a great job of like hitting on some of the reasons why facet wealth is so necessary you know, which is you have to address the problems, right, that are out there before you uh, solve those or you create those solutions, right? And kind of going a little bit more into some of what the financial planning environment consisted of, you know, obviously, right, like the advisor role has changed and evolved so much from, you know, the the pandemic influencing it to, you know, a new generation of, of wealth and different kinds of people that are able to um, and interested, right, in having financial advice and planning uh, and actually going to someone for that. But also, you know, with that kind of demographic shift, you've had to adapt, right? Like, as, like to have that assets under management uh, structure has been, you know, that's been a big topic of discussion. And it, for the lack of a better word, just sucks. And like, it isn't great. And we've kind of like said that a bit, but I'd love to hear more from you a little bit deeper into why creating that new solution was so important and to not have this, not kind of like, show the, show the industry, right? Like you can have a not AUM fee based business model and still be successful. Yeah. I mean, look, the AUM model has been a great way for people in financial services to make a lot of money. And, you know, if you think about how it's evolved, right? First it was transactional where it's like, I'm going to call you and tell you about a hot stock tip and make a commission on that. And that was fine until you had sort of better information coming into the market 
and you know having a, a guy on Wall Street, which is like you know, oh my my guy on Wall Street, like back in the eighties, that was sort of like the thing to have, was less important because you have the internet coming up, and so you so there's actually significantly better information that you could get. And then advisors said, okay, well we got to move from the transaction model to a more fee based model, so it's recurring revenue, you know, which everyone loves. And, you know, like, I'm just going to manage your money for you. So I'm not going to tell you when I'm buying or selling or whatever, but just, you know, trust me, I'm going to manage, manage money for you. And I think we're at a point now where money management is so commoditized, right? If someone comes to you and says, I'm going to manage your money and you're going to pay me a fee to do that uh, based on my success because I can beat the market, you should run the other way. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the stats something like 94% of large cap managers underperform their benchmark every year. Like it is so hard to beat the market in a way that is available to a broad set of retail customers. And so, you know, to charge someone saying, well, when you do better, I do better. That's not your value prop. Your value prop is not, I'm, I'm making more money for you. Your value prop is I'm actually holding your hand and doing financial planning and, you know, getting sort of deep into the weeds of your financial life and getting you set up to make a variety of decisions in a more informed way than you would have in the past. And for whatever reason, you know, advisors, well, actually the reason is because they make too much money doing it the, the old right. way, but, you know, advisors are very sort of loath to, to move towards a more professional services model where think about how you pay your accountant. Right. Think about how you pay a lawyer if you have one. Um, think about how you pay your doctor. Right? It's you're paying them a fee for service, uh, not some weird like other sort of incentive structure that doesn't really map to the value that you're that you're receiving. And I think the other point here is that financial planning has always been used as a sales tool. Right. Like how many times have you gone into a financial advisor's office and they say, OK, I'm going to get a bunch of your data. I'm going to do all these calculations. Here's your 150 page Money Guide Pro or eMoney plan. And by the way, the answer is give me your money or buy this annuity. Right? Uh, that's always the answer. That's never not the answer. <laughs> and now you have a financial plan you're set. But I, I don't know about you, but my life is dynamic. My financial situation changes pretty frequently. And having a 150-page plan that I did once doesn't really address the stuff that, that changes all the time. And so we just see a different version of financial planning, which is you know, we want to be integrated into every aspect of your life. We, we say it's everything in life that, that uh, money touches, which, you know, if you think about it, basically every decision you make is a financial decision in some way or other. So, you know, you should have an expert there for, for all of it. And fortunately, we live in a world now where, you know, you can use technology to automate a ton of, of the, the work that goes into that. So you can have a much higher touch, more integrated experience to make your life better today with a combination of technology and people. And that's really what we're building. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I love this. And thank you for explaining all of that because it's really great to see this industry evolve. I, you know, even though I cover FinTech like broadly, I do focus a lot on like the wealth tech and financial planning side because I do think it's, you know, financial planners to me, they're on the front lines. Like you're the people on the front lines, like talking with investors, with retail customers and folks that, need help. And so like if we can kind of create a world where financial planning is something that everyone can have if they want um, and, and in whatever kind of maybe manner that they want it, then, you know, we can maybe make some change happen and, and move some dollars and make people a little bit happier. And yeah. so, yeah, I totally agree with it all. So to get a little bit into more of like how Facet Wealth 
works and, you know, the part where you are leveraging technology and, you know, and finance. So fintech, hey, um, to provide kind of all these services and things. So, yes, we'd love to kind of hear a little bit about how Facet Wealth works. Yeah, maybe just kind of go from there and how you kind of like approach working with the everyday person while leveraging, right, like technology to make a win for everyone involved from you, the company, to the user, to the CFP. So there's four pillars to to what we do, right? So every one of our clients works with a dedicated CFP professional, which is the highest level of certification you can get in financial planning. We have to study for like three years to and do an apprenticeship to actually get the accreditation. Mm-hmm. It's not an 800 number. It's not a call center. You're basically building a relationship with someone over time. And we do our best to match that person with the client's needs. So like, you know, if you have someone who's kind of younger and just starting their career, we'll match them with someone who's sort of in the same boat. So that's number one, is the the dedicated human advisor. Uh, Number two is, I sort of alluded to this, but you know, this idea that we look at everything in your life that money touches. So we do manage money. We manage more than a billion dollars, but we actually only manage money for about half of our clients. The rest we do, uh, everything from cash flow planning to debt management, to thinking about saving for a house, to starting a family, to taking care of your aging parents, whatever it might be. So we, we really look at sort of all aspects of, of your financial life. We talked about sort of the fee structure. So, you know, we don't charge an asset-based fee. We charge a, an annual subscription. It's tied to the level of complexity and basically how much time and level of resources that we're spending with you. So someone just starting out on their career is going to be a lot simpler and take a lot less time and be cheaper to work with us than someone who's like married, family of, with three kids, owns a small business and is taking care of their parents. But you know, to give you a sense, the average fee that our client pays is about $3,000 a year. So considerably uh, more affordable than a traditional uh, advisor. And then the last piece, you asked about the technology. So we really started the company with this idea that we could use technology to reduce cost of providing advice. And so we spent a lot of time building out tech and it's all proprietary. We, it's, it's all, we have a product and engineering teams that, that are internal to us that have built all this. But the real focus is on uh, basically increasing the number of clients that one of our advisors can work with so that we can lower the cost and sort of pass that cost savings along to the to the end client. So, you know, the industry average advisor works with somewhere between 50 to 75 clients. When our advisors are sort of fully ramped, they work with like 220 to 250 clients. So it's a it's a pretty big difference there. The sort of secret sauce is it's around the non-client facing time. So the, the average advisor today will spend about three hours of prep time for every hour of, of time with a client. And we've tried to automate as much of that away as we possibly can. And, you know, look, it's a work in progress, right? We, you know, are releasing new features on our platform on a weekly basis as we watch our advisors work and we get input and, you know, how we can do better. So that's one of those things where it's like, it's never going to be done. Uh, it's not an off the shelf product. It's a, it's very much a sort of, you know, living, breathing thing as we learn more about our customers and how we can do better. But that's the, that's kind of the big focus. And then I think looking forward, there's, and I don't want to give too much away about what's coming, but you know, there's tremendous opportunity. Give it away. What's that? I said, give it away. <laughs> I'll give, I'll drop a hint, which is there's tremendous <laughs> opportunity for consumer facing planning tools that no one has really figured out yet. I would say the best sort of best in class, like 
pure technology product out there for consumers doing financial planning is probably Mint. And that's basically like a cash flow analysis. Yeah. So as we look at a bunch of different scenarios that we help our clients with, I think there's some really interesting opportunity for us to build some some pretty cool and and kind of fun and intuitive tools that our clients can play around with in our dashboard. So that's coming. We are going to take a short break to share a message from our friends over at Yield Street. Evolving markets require an alternative approach to investing. Cut through the volatility with Yield Street investments that target fixed durations and income generation. Explore investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more with minimum starting at $500 and targeting annual yields of up to 18%. Discover the difference of a diverse portfolio with Yield Street. Now, back to the show. I love that you say that because I have like listened in on other podcasts or webinars or whatever, and I've heard the interest there to actually have tools that are helpful for the end user to be able to kind of have their own way of like touching and feeling and visualizing their like financial situation and to be able to do it in one app in kind of a more like almost holistic manner would be really cool. I think also having like a personal, you know, advisor to yourself or financial planner to help you as you kind of play with these tools is also really helpful, Mm -hmm. right? Like even the most simple app, sometimes you can open it and just be like, this is already too many steps or like, I don't even know what this is asking of me anymore or whatever. And so, yeah, even like when I was heavily reporting on the uh, financial advice and, and meets fintech space, I always kind of thought about how, you know, it's interesting, like financial advice has thought of fintech as like, something to replace them like a robo advisor. And like that conversation has kind of like obviously died, but also like, I just think that it's more a friend. It's an assistant as an assist to what you're providing. Right. And then just also offers like a little bit more transparency and almost learning experience for your, for the end user as well, which is what we all, we should all want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we could talk about this for a long time, you know, for a technology company, we have a very sort of counterintuitive view of the world, which is that the future is actually largely human driven. You know, we view sort of the tech that we build is really around enabling humans, whether it's clients or advisors, to have a deeper and more meaningful conversation and understanding of their financial situation. There's long been this idea of sort of like the AI boogeyman that's coming for all of our jobs. And we're so far away from that. We're decades away. Like there was a study a few years ago that Google did. And they basically tried to to build AI to uh, identify a cat in a um, a picture like online. And like they showed it like a, a bowl of guacamole and they were like, and, and the AI was like, yep, that's a cat. So, so like <laughs> if that, if we're at that level of can't quite get there from an AI standpoint, like it's a long time before the nuance and complexity that a human advisor is going to pick up on is replaceable by technology. But that being said, mm-hmm. there's been such a lack of investment in enabling the human advisor. You know, there are a lot of sort of off-the-shelf SaaS products that are, you know, marketed to independent advisors, but you basically have to have a, a team of engineers to integrate all of them to actually make it all sort of work in your day-to-day life. And you know, the average financial advisor has like 70 million of AUM, 
$700,000 a year business, that's like a small business, right? They're not a, a CTO on the side. And the bigger firms like the, you know, the Vanguards and the Fidelities and the Schwabs, I mean, they're just focused on gathering assets. So the innovation that they've built and the tech that they've built is really more around enabling better sales. So there's this huge opportunity, which is the one that we're kind of running to full steam ahead is in just making those who deliver planning better at their jobs. And do you think that kind of this focus that you have and it being pretty different than, you know, a large incumbent, if, you know, a large incumbent were to kind of steal, I guess, or like leverage your flat fee model approach that, you know, I, how does that concern you? What are your thoughts around that? Just because, you know, I guess, yeah, that could be worrisome, but for the most part, I feel like maybe you're offering something so much more than just like a flat fee model approach. I don't think an incumbent is going to be able to do what we do because it would cannibalize their existing business model. The closest we've seen is Schwab offering their, I think it's their intelligent portfolios. It's like 300 bucks a year for access to an 800 number plus 30 basis points. So it's still, even in the, the sort of most innovative case with the incumbents, you still have a hybrid model of, of flat fee and, and asset-based fee. But you know it's hard to imagine a, a of an existing large company kind of backing away from the, the asset-based revenue model. And then, you know, in, t- in terms of like the flat fee model for us, I mean, it enables a lot, but it's all, it's part of a flywheel that sort of, it all works together. So yes, the flat fee model is important because it opens up a huge market that we wouldn't be otherwise be able to serve, but it also lets us focus on other aspects of your life. And it creates this very different view or different definition of financial planning. And I think that's like a really important thing, which is that if you're a client of Facet and you leave and you go and you you get a uh, you know traditional advisor, you're going to have two very different conversations about like what financial planning really is, because they're going to be very focused on how are we managing your money? How's your, how are your assets allocated? And what are you doing to save for retirement? Because that's the way you gather more assets is you get people to save for retirement over the long run. They come to us and like, we might not even talk about retirement. Who knows? You know, it, it may or may not be something that that is important right now, but we're for sure going to talk about cash flow. We're for sure going to talk about what your kind of monthly resources are, whatever, whatever it is. So so it all kind of, the, the business models, it, it all sort of like works together in this flywheel that I think is very different and unique from what anyone else is is building or has built. That makes a lot of sense, especially the part where, um, and it's always been the kind of, downside to a you know incumbent legacy system right they're really to change uh drastically the business model in any capacity is going to be a massive lift tons of red tape to to cross through and whereas you know when you are more of a startup or when you are you have the agility of of that then you can you know, if you're building what you see is right and what you know is you know right for for the end user and and something totally different and i also think that there's like uh kind of like a brand awareness aspect of it, right? Like it, we only are seeing like millennials get older and the Gen Z get older and the demographic shift continue to happen. And, you know, these generation, these younger generations, especially like they don't really care if like you've been in business for a thousand years, like they don't care how long, like they don't care about how long you've been around. They don't care if you're like a legacy. They care about like, 
are you mission driven? Are you going to help me put my money in the right place that's best for, you know, me and maybe is representative of kind of the good human I want to be in the world or, you know, whatever it is. So that does make tons of sense. And I think also just like the, the personal relationship, right, that you're going to get. What are some areas that you think uh, like financial planners have kind of maybe historically gotten wrong in terms of that like advisor client relationship and I guess I'm you know facet kind of has the ability to help evolve that and actually change that forward I think the biggest thing is around consumer centricity versus not and what I mean by that is if I were to ask you as someone who spends a lot of time talking to financial advisors and you know other companies like what's the question you would ask an advisor? to determine how successful they are. Do you to pick one question? Is there a metric for like happiness or almost like how many successful situations have you seen? I.e., you know, did some, was someone able to reach a financial goal that, you know, they worked with you on? Was it, you know, that new house, that vacation, the, the new baby and having enough resource or enough, you know, assets allocated to their future college fund or whatever it is? I love that that's where you went and like that and that's very aligned with how we view the world but if you were to ask an, an, an advisor what they would say is well what's your AUM oh. right like that's right. the you know and it's and and there it's like oh wow I just crossed a billion AUM like I've made it as an I have hit the holy grail building an advice business and you think about like sales pitches you hear from people that are selling something to advisors it's like use this to grow your AUM use this to grow your AUM it's never about the client Right. Like you go to these industry conferences and stuff and everyone stands up and says, well, you know, we're all doing this for the client, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, well, what did you do to grow your assets? It's never about the client. And look, the, the world is moving towards a more consumer centric spot just in general. Right. Like like zoom out of financial services. Look at the world in general. Think about what's been happening in other industries. You know, I said this a little bit at the beginning that, you know, as information gets easier and easier to access to the average person, if you're not consumer centric, you're toast. So like, what what do you think is the most consumer-centric airline? What's the one that comes to mind? Not, not a lot of them. Is it, I haven't traveled in a while. Okay. I always use American Airlines, but I don't know if I would consider them super consumer-centric, I guess. I'm a very None. loyal American Airlines customer, so I'm going to be careful because I have a flight coming up and I don't want anything. <laughs> no, but seriously. I am a loyal one. I have, a, I have their like reward stuff and everything. Yeah. So sure. Okay. Um, Fine. Uh, Southwest, American. right? Like you think okay. about it. And, and they've basically said, look, we could charge an extra 200 bucks for your bags, but we're not going to, you know, we could charge change fees. We could charge cancellation fees and we're not going to. And they basically have built an incredible business. And if you look at various measures of financial success, like, you know, return on invested capital, Southwest is like in a league of its own relative to all the other, to all the other airlines. And they've built a, a similar flywheel that centers around this idea of being consumer centric that is, has made them incredibly successful. So my point there is that the world's moving in that direction. I think financial services has been behind the curve uh, for a long time. And again, it's, you know, the incentives are very uh, misaligned to move in that direction because it means you actually have to do real work for your clients and, and you can't charge as much or you have to change how you charge, but like the world is going to move in that direction. So, you know, your original question was what are advisors doing that, you know, will change or, or that we're doing different. I think it's it's a huge mindset shift that has to happen. Like if you design a firm today, if you design a financial planning experience today, you got to start with what the client needs. And it's not, 
gather more assets for the advisor. It would have been like an easier question to answer if we talked about what is the least customer centric airline, because I guess we could all maybe collectively say Spirit. Sorry, Spirit <laughs> Airlines. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that would have been an easier one. But yeah, no, I see what you mean. And um, it's cool to see because what it does is it also actually brings like financial planning a little bit more into that mainstream conversation, which is a lot of what like I'm trying to do with like the content and the, and the podcast and everything yeah. is, you know, aligning this so that that it is more a part of like everyday world. Like this isn't just something for, you know, the ultra wealthy. This isn't just something that, you know, you see on TV with like men in suits. They're the only ones that get to have these things. Like that is not the case. And so, yeah, it's, it's awesome to just see that, that shift. And then like the, also the other side of like the big message is like, Hey, we have the technology to do this. Like you can literally leverage like as an advisor, financial planner, you can leverage, like certain pieces of technology to be able to write automate certain tasks so that you have more time with clients and by and all the all the different things and so yeah I just love that kind of that message because it's one that I've been <laughs> putting out there and so it's nice to see it in reality with like with a company and something that that you've built I mean when it comes to kind of the also the recent raise uh, which congrats on the hundred million that's a super big deal. And I know you kind of shared a little bit of what's to come with like kind of more of the consumer facing tech, but you know, any, which also awesome, but is there anything else from that raise that you can kind of share detail wise on uh, what else is to come and kind of growth and expansion? Yeah. Well, I think you just said it. Growth is the, uh, is, is the <laughs> real thing. So we quadrupled in size from 2020 to the end of 2021. So we, we started the pandemic you know, with, uh, oh, I want to say 1500 clients maybe, and, or maybe it's a little more 2000 or so. And, and, and we ended up with, um, over 10,000 at the end of last year. So there's, there's a huge, huge opportunity. I mean, I talked about it, it as a 40 million household market, you know, right now we're sitting around 12,000 clients and, you know, there's a huge, huge market out there of 40 million clients. So like, you know, we're, we're just getting started. One of the coolest things, just as an aside, is that, you know, we've kind of, we, we pull our client base and, and, you know, we have a bunch of great data about our clients. More than 75% of our clients have actually never worked with a financial advisor before. So yeah, wow. this whole idea that we're creating a new market uh, instead of taking market share um, is really now kind of borne out at, at significant scale, which is, which is cool. But, and, and I think that's kind of indicative where it's like, okay, there's, you know, there's this huge opportunity there. And so... We want to grow into it as, as fast as possible. There's also, you know, we, I, I talked about this, but, you know, really kind of thinking about the next iteration of the client experience and building something that continues to be increasingly magical and differentiated is really important. So we're putting a lot of effort towards new consumer products and, and uh, sort of consumer experiences. And it'll be a combination of technology, people, content, community, sort of a whole kind of wraparound experience that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. So that's that's kind of the two big buckets of, of focus for us in the next uh, year or so. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to, you know, follow the growth and see what else you kind of have cooking because it, you've like created something that is so much more than a robo-advisor. It's definitely not an incumbent situation. And so it's a, yeah, you're just hitting that demographic that like so needs this. And, um, but it does make me also think about, 
you know, are there any areas that have maybe like surprised you when it comes to building out facet wealth? You know, how is there any like kind of hurdles or like, you know, challenges along the way of, of creating something so new? Um, I think a lot of like fintech founders can run into these things and just like navigating it, right? And continuing to kind of keep the the culture and mission alive in your fast growing fintech firm. Yeah, I think, man, I mean, this could be a podcast in and of itself, right? Around, uh, <laughs> around you know, l- lessons learned in, in building a company. And, you know, like I'm a first time CEO, right? So this is my first, uh, you know, I, as, as I like to say to my team, you know, I wake up every day in the biggest job of my life. And a lot of people on our team are in the same boat. And so I think acknowledging that, but also setting the expectation that we all have growth mindsets and growth mentalities, and that the only way to learn is, is by doing and, and being thoughtful about developing our own skills and ability to kind of grow into the opportunity that, that exists. So kind of tracking along that, that learning curve is always a really, really interesting challenge it's that's fairly unique to to I think the the founder role I, you know we've grown we were about 70 people at the start of the pandemic we're at 350 now so the vast majority of people at facet have actually never met another facet team member in person and so maintaining the culture and thinking about how do you create that level of excitement in a virtual environment that we had in the office back in the day maintaining that that's one that's sort of constantly top of mind and i think we've done a reasonable job of that so far but but you know we gotta that's one you can never sort of take your eye off of because uh, at the end of the day that that connection back to the culture and the mission is is going to be what keeps people you know really motivated and and really happy to to be a facet so like i said you know every every day is an adventure but um i'm also really fortunate to have an amazing team around me you know, the executive yeah. team we have is really, really extraordinary. And, and by the way, we're hiring like crazy. So, you know, I got, I got to put that <laughs> plug in there. Uh, so I love it. Yeah. I love it. My guests have been doing that. Everyone is, I feel like every, all my guests have like always been, they're like saying how they're hiring. So yeah, that's, which is great because, you know, I'm totally down for, for the cause to have, you know, more people uh, enter the space. Yeah, I actually like recently have uh, like one of my, my, my one of my best friend is like about to start working in financial services for the first time in like a marketing role. And I'm very excited for the world to see it and for her to like experience this world because, yeah, it's just like to have more people even from different industries come in and say like or and, and experience what it's like to kind of help change and evolve this industry, I think is telling and exciting. And anyways, so one of my kind of last questions for you is maybe to talk a little bit about what, uh, and I kind of alluded to like, you guys aren't a robo-advisor, you're mm-hmm. non-incumbent. So I guess I'll just ask about the um, you know UBS acquisition of Wealthfront. What does this tell the industry? What does this tell consumers um, from kind of, you know, the the founder of a fintech that's literally doing none of those things, um, but trying to hit that sweet spot, almost like in the middle. I think that it's pretty indicative that that that's sort of the the D to C robo model is dead. That was kind of the last one, right? I mean, you had if if I was to look at, it, I would say that the big three were Wealthfront, Betterment, and Personal Capital. And Personal Capital sold. Betterment is now doing, you know, largely kind of B2B and like 401k 
advising and Wealthfront just sold. And, you know, if you look at the amount of capital they've raised and the dollar amount they sold for, like, that's not a great outcome. And, uh, and I mean, don't get me wrong, a billion four is like, is a lot of money. But, you know, in terms of sort of like, when you're a venture capitalist, and you're investing in a company, you know, you're looking for 10 to 25 x returns. That was not the the outcome that, that they got. And I think it's just, it's a misaligned value prop, right? I mean, you essentially, they're charging a 25 or 30 basis point fee for something you can go and do for free on the Vanguard website. And they're not providing a ton of wrapper around that or advice around that, that, that really kind of moves the needle. So, so I'm very bearish on D2C robo-advisors and I don't like, I'm actually not sure how many are left or like what, if there are other kind of yeah. big ones that are out there. And I think there's going to be a big kind of shift in in sort of how people think about value prop for retail financial services. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, that was a great spicy take on, on that piece of news. And uh, I completely agree. I don't think it's an accident that we've seen, you know, kind of the now like the last remain, the last robo kind of independent robo standing, right? Betterment really pivot their strategy to focus on that B2B, to focus on their 401k. And so, yeah, I think that, yeah, I guess we can just start to declare the the robo DDC business model, you know, RIP, because <laughs> it doesn't just it just doesn't make any sense. Um, I love it. I love it. Well, I we I know we're closing out here, so I will ask you, Anders, my final question. Please tell us what the F we can expect from you and from Facet Wealth next. I think you're just gonna see more and more of a push towards growth and uh, focus on on the client. And we're going to try and bring the whole industry with us on the way. Yeah. Okay. Well said. Thank you so much, Anders, for joining me. Um, this is an awesome conversation. I love just like, you know, being able to, to riff with you about the, the AUM models, about what's missing in financial advice and, and how you're, you know, actually bringing a solution to, to help our missions, though mine done with content, uh, are, are pretty aligned. Yeah. Um, and that is important to me with my guests. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, that is a wrap on this episode of What the Fintech. And thanks again to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button. And you can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time.